You're locked into the Despirito Team Real Estate Show with host and top realtor Emilio Despirito on News Radio 920 and 1047 FM. We're talking with industry leaders about real estate trends, money making tips, and advice on buying and selling the American dream. Now, here's Emilio Despirito. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Emilio Desperado, and this is the Desperado Team Real Estate Show. We're talking about buying, selling, investing, and everything to do in between when it comes to real estate. We've got an awesome show today. I've got some very special guests coming on the show. One of those is a first-timer. His name is Frank with the Cashflow Kings. We're going to be talking about a real estate syndication. Super interesting. You're going to want to stay tuned for that later on in the show. And on the line with us right now, we have our favorite home inspector. We have on the one, the only, Mike Auger with Patriot Home Inspections. Mike, how's it going today, brother? Things are going great. Things great, are, great, great. It's busy out there, huh? The market is cranking. You guys are busy uh, pretty much seven days a week, which is pretty unbelievable. Uh, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's been, uh, we had a, a small low between, you know, uh, Christmas and New Year's, and uh, it seems like spring's here already. I mean, we're getting lots of calls, and uh, it's awesome. Good stuff, man. So, you know, part of being a home inspector is you want to make sure that the buyers and the sellers are educated in the process. So we appreciate you being on here with us on air. And uh, we're talking about translating your home inspection report uh, report into repair requests. What exactly do you mean by that? Okay, well, let's let's start with the home inspection report and its purpose. Okay, Mm -hmm. My job when I do a home inspection or any home inspector's job should be, for that matter, is to compile all the information we can about the house and give that to the potential buyer or seller if we're doing a pre-list inspection so they have all the information about the house. Absolutely. What it is not is a repair list. It's not a repair list. People misinterpret when I tell you something's broken or when I tell you something needs to be repaired soon that it's a repair list. And what I've been seeing lately and what I've been hearing lately when people reach back out to me sometimes about the repair requests that get submitted, which is kind of outside of my lane, is, oh, my God, they asked for... 45 things. I'm like, wow, 45 things. A house, I don't remember the house being that bad. And some people will show me the repair request and they'll literally ask for every single thing in the report back to the seller. Yeah. And the, you know, we're seeing a lot of younger real estate agents, which is fine, but they're not educated when it comes to what to ask for or, or how to say to their potential customer, listen, this is a used house. It's yeah. not a brand new house. You're going to buy a house with some defects. That's okay. And on the other end of things, you're seeing list agents that, again, are younger or newer or don't have the experience to go back to a repair request and be like, listen, we're not fixing all this stuff. We didn't price this house like it's the Taj Mahal. (laughs) This is a three-bedroom Cape and Edgewood, which is fine. But you you got to be realistic with what you're expecting a customer to fix on this house at this price point. And, and deals are blowing up because people just aren't educated. 100%. We're seeing a lot of houses actually go on the market, off the market. That that hurts the seller and the buyer in different ways because the buyer just blew all that money on the home inspection report, right? Um, and then the yeah. seller just wasted all of that time. Now their house went on the market, off the market. I'm, I'm with you there. That report is a guide. And that's, there's some stuff in there. Jiggly doorknob, look, You can handle that. You don't got to ask a wax ring on a toilet buyer. You can handle that. You don't have to ask the seller to change a wobbly toilet. Like, you know, um, the big stuff we want to focus on. We're seeing seeing that stuff. We're seeing, I was just at a house the other day, and this was a um, perfect example. Um, 
self-tapping saddle valve. So for you, see, for you online that don't know, or you listening uh, to the to the show live that don't know what that is, that's that little DIY attachment where you you uh, you tap into a cold water line to run that little water line to your refrigerator. Yep. For the ice maker or whatnot. Well, technically, those are not code compliant. Hmm. Is it the end of the world if one of those is in a house? No, because everybody puts them in there. But I do have to do my job, and if we identify one. Uh, that's present. We just have to inform. Hey, that's not code compliant. Those kind of have a high failure rate. You might consider a better, uh, you know, a better uh, joint there or a better, a better transition in the plumbing. Sure. And you got people asking for this kind of stuff, and you know, it, what happens is you end up with a, a huge list of uh, of things, and the deal just falls apart because mm. the, the this guy is selling a house. He doesn't have millions of dollars. He just wants to sell the house and be fair about it. You know, so. That kind of stuff doesn't necessarily need to be fixed if it's not leaking. Exactly. Similarly, um, folks don't review the disclosure, which is which kills me. Um, I mean, it doesn't kill me; it kills you guys more than me. <laughs> but we, uh, you know, we'll go to a to a home inspection and we'll tell somebody, "Hey, you know what? This roof it's probably about twenty two years old. Uh, you know, you probably got maybe three four years left on it. You're gonna have to do a new roof soon." And then uh, you come back, and the, the seller will be like, "Hey, man." Uh, you told him the roof was failing. I'm like, well, I told him uh, it was older. And, you know, he's like, well, we disclosed that the roof was original and the house is 22 years old. Exactly. Like, ah. So somebody failed that negotiation there because exactly. the people buying the house knew that the roof was old when they made their offer. And it's not really cool to go back and ask for something that was negotiated in effect with the first offer because it was part of the disclosure. You know what I mean? 100%. You're right on the money there. I can tell you've been doing this for a little while. That is so true. I think if anything, I think you should, I don't know if you offer this, but I could see you going into different real estate brokerages, kind of educating them on some of this thing. I, I think it would be fantastic. But I do know we get a lot of different agents and whatnot that are really working hard to learn and new agents. And it's like any other profession. When you're new, you got to go through that stuff. And it's not only new agents that botch this. It's agents that have been around for a while as well, Mike. But you know, they always say like, look, that was interesting. Thank you so much. I think this is going to be one of them. Very informative. And uh, if you want to find out more information about Mike Auger and Patriot Home Inspections, you can go to homeinspectorri.com or you can give us a call on our off-air number and we'll connect you with him. 401-217-2333. Mike, thanks so much for being on the show with us. We hope you have a great uh, rest of the uh, week and uh, we'll talk with you soon, brother. All right. Happy New Year, everybody. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Happy New Year. Take care. Now back to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 and 1047 FM. Also available as a podcast on iHeartRadio. Hey, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Emilio Despirito, and this is the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. We've got Melissa Delano with Delano Law here in the studio with us. And today we're going to be talking about everything real estate. So we're going to give you the ins and outs of buying, selling, investing. We've got a really special show for you today. Uh, but Melissa, welcome back to the to the Despirito Team Show. Thanks for having me. Always fun to be here. You're and thanks for listening. Yeah, you're very welcome. And thank you to our listeners and people on Facebook for listening and checking us out. We're talking about first-time home sellers with Melissa today because... You know, as a first-time home seller, it's it's completely different. It's a whole different process from buying, right? Oh, so a whole different process from buying. Melissa, what are your thoughts on, yeah, on this? So I think there's so much out there for first-time home buyers, but it's not something that you ever see addressed for first-time home sellers. So I've actually had occasion with 
really, you know, high-end individuals. They are running companies. They're in prestigious positions. And they're like, we don't know what we're doing. We've never done this before. Mm -hmm. We need help. And I think that that's really where having the professional agent, the professional attorney by your side to guide you, educate, and communicate with you throughout the process is going to really help get away from some of those anxieties and stressors. Because, you know, I tell everybody when your house isn't in order, and this is quite proverbial, your house, it's difficult. You know, it bleeds into your personal life. It bleeds into your professional life. So it is important to make sure you understand sort of what are the steps associated with selling your house. Absolutely. And there's a lot of steps. If we break it all down, we've actually calculated about 185 steps in selling a property. It's a lot of steps. When you're going to buy a property at the same time, we'll talk about this later on in the segment, it's an additional about 175. So you're at 360. And that's what it does. You know, people spin around 360 like, oh. And that's exactly it. You know, your mind is so frazzled, especially when you're doing a simultaneous, you know, double side. But we'll get there. I mean, I think just as a first time home seller, understand there is a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you bought the property for the first time, you sort of learned a lot of different real estate terminology. You have to reacquaint yourself with that information because you may have forgotten what an escrow is and the way taxes run. Mm-hmm. So we need to make certain that we're starting back to the beginning. And when you're selling, I think, you know, aside from listing the property and all the steps that are going to be involved in doing that relative to the closing itself and what's involved in the actual completing the sale. Once you have your house under contract, you need to be thinking about, well, what are the next steps relative to, you know, timing for scheduling movers? Those Mm -hmm. logistical difficulties, I think, is where everybody starts panicking. When do we start scheduling the movers? Yeah, yeah. And that, that's one of the things, too. When you're looking at different professionals to work with, mm-hmm. you got to make sure that they have a system in place, Absolutely. right? Um, so I and they have to be flexible because these are fluid transactions. Mm-hmm. You know, very often we see real estate closings being delayed because of first-time homebuyer financing constraints. So as a first-time seller, you have to anticipate that there may be delays and that you may have to have a mover who can be somewhat flexible or that you have a contingency plan, which I talk to clients quite a bit about at the beginning of my representation. You think that the closing is going to happen on January 13th. That's fabulous. What happens when it doesn't? Mm -hmm. Do you have a contingency plan? Have you taken time out of work? Can you afford to change your days out of work? You know, again, those kinds of logistical details really do create the stress and anxiety that most of our clients are going through. You and I take it for granted because this is what we do. We breathe this. Yeah. Until I went to sell my home and I was a first time home seller. That was that was uh, quite the experience. But obviously, I know what I'm doing. And 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 I, I did everything that I tell my first time home sellers to do. But I literally sat down with myself and I pretty much brought myself through the exact consultation that I would someone else. I know right. it sounds kind of funny, but preparation is absolutely everything Huge. for first time home sellers. And basically what we mean by that, Melissa, is you have to have somebody that's going to go lay out the process in front of of you and they should be very detailed and very thorough with their explanation. Absolutely. Right? So so what does this transaction look like? What are the good? What's the bad? What's the best? What's the worst case scenario? Mm-hmm. And with so many moving parts, all of that has to really be spelled out in front of you. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like I said, you know, having that contingency plan is really going to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. So the contingency plan. So let, let's let's talk about a couple of snags that can happen along the way. And, uh, sure. you know, unless you had something else you, no, you wanted no. to. So, Melissa, with first time sellers, um, some of the things that I've seen from the other end when we had the buyer on first time sellers was 
they just they weren't certain that the closing date was a target date. Mm-hmm. They were talking more along the lines as this is a drop dead yeah. time is the essence date. Can you explain how that works in the Rhode Island contract? Definitely. So as a buyer or seller, I think very often there's a lot of weight given to the purchase and sales closing date that's prescribed in the contract as a set in stone, this is the day. Yeah. And that is just not the case because Rhode Island purchase and sales agreements do not have a time is of the essence provision, which means it's fluid. So again, if we close on or about that date, we're going to call it good. And the general rule of thumb is a couple of weeks is considered reasonable, quote unquote, reasonable in order to complete the contract from a timeline perspective. So I can tell you right now that if the closing is prescribed for the 13th and it ends up happening on the 31st, that's probably close enough. The buyer's not losing their deposit over that. No, but the sellers are probably pretty PO'd because they may have storage They Mm -hmm. may have uh, impacts on their travel if they were going to be going out of state. Oh, yeah. So there's lots of different avenues that can impact the seller if they were planning 100 percent. This is the drop dead date. And it's not. Well, and and that goes back to with, uh, you know, having everything prepared and, Mm -hmm. and, and knowing this stuff up front. So like. When you sit down with a real estate agent, that should not be a 20-minute conversation. No, no. If anything, that agent should be listening to you for half an hour as you're telling that agent everything they need to know. Mm-hmm. And then and then after that, then that agent's going to go ahead and, you know, diagnose your situation and give you a prescription to what needs to happen, right? Absolutely. And tailor the, everything to that. Uh, but, man, there's another thing, too, um, is the... Um, is the uh, mortgage contingency section. Yeah. That's another one, too, that can be extended. And there's so many times where we have first-time sellers that have said in the past, like, hey, you know what? I don't want to extend that. The buyer's going to lose their deposit. No, that's not how it works. Right. Right? Yeah. No, again, there's a lot of um, misnomers around that. So the contingency deadline says that if the buyer does not secure their commitment letter Mm. by that date, then essentially their deposit is in jeopardy of being lost if they don't conduct the closing on time. But as long as they're able to conduct the closing on time, the fact that the mortgage contingency deadline is since passed does not matter. So I also have had clients where, you know, once we get to that deadline. They're like, okay, let's move on. We're going to take the deposit. These buyers are out. No, that's not how it works. So, you know, again, I think really the right time to understand these provisions is when you're going through the purchase and sales as a first time seller to understand what it means, how it impacts you, what, like you said, the best case, most likely and worst case scenario would look like when you're signing the sales agreement. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot to it. Yeah. Um, and there's so much that could happen that we you just can't predict it all too. And right? and right. And that's why it's difficult to say with certainty, this is when your closing is going to be, this is when your move is going to be scheduled. You know, even getting through the inspection contingency period, you know, making sure that this buyer is not going to back out because of some finite amount of items that can't be negotiated around. So yeah. it really is critically important that the seller is being somewhat flexible in this pretty short time frame, right? Because, I mean, most closings happen in 30 to 45 days. You may have two weeks where Mm -hmm. you're sort of up in the air about what's happening. You're right about the inspections, too, just to go back there. And by the way, if you're just joining us, this is the Desperado Team Real Estate Show. I'm Emilio Desperado, real estate agent here in Rhode Island with a team licensed in Rhode Island, Mass, and Connecticut, and Melissa Delano with Delano Law. And uh, we're going over the process as a first-time home seller. Nobody talks about first-time home sellers. They always talk about first-time buyers. And the first-time sellers really... 
they need a lot of coaching because mm. it's it's uh, you're selling a home, you're selling an asset, and it's something you've never done before. It's a big deal. You, you need yeah, help. You haven't done it before. Going back to when you were talking about the inspections mm-hmm. and how um, you know those can definitely be an issue. You're absolutely correct. And one of the biggest mistakes and the biggest hurdles that first time sellers go through is doing things the way that they have always been done. And basically, well, everyone else does it like this. I'm going to do it like this. And what I'm talking about is not having a pre-list home inspection. Mm. So I, I can't tell you how valuable this is. Well, I mean, I can. My <laughs> clients that do it sell homes for 5% higher. That's amazing. 5% higher in price than the ones that don't. So there's a method behind our madness. It's because we fix the garbage that is going to come up and really shoot you in the foot later mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to make sure that your home can qualify for certain types of financing, FHA, VA, Rhode Island housing. Well, and not to mention, you know, you have a first time home buyer who may be nervous to begin with. Then you have a home inspection with a litany of issues. That's enough to say, you know what, I don't know if I want to move forward, where if you can kind of nip that in the bud, as they say, yeah. and avoid those issues. Now it looks like you've got a rock solid house. That buyer that may have been a little bit skeptical is feeling a lot more secure about the investment. Sure. And, you know, I, what I love about this is we do the home inspection report and then all of a sudden we get if there's stuff like mold in the attic or you know water in the basement or whatever we get somebody out to install the sump pump we get a receipt of Mm -hmm. this we put it all together we disclose everything we take care of the mold in the attic we disclose everything show them the invoice they call the companies everything is is warranted it's guaranteed up front it's up front here you go the the objections just melt away Mm -hmm. and the ease of the transaction is totally unbelievable and people are willing to pay more for a turnkey home i think that's fantastic melissa any closing thoughts um, I think just for sellers, you know, making sure that you are hiring counsel so that you understand the debts that are associated with the house that need to be paid, mortgages, lines of credit, uh, you know, any kinds of liens that may have ripened against the title. And sure. we talk about pre-listing home inspections. You can also do a pre-listing title inspection. Um, yes. Also making sure you understand that your real estate taxes need to be trued up or caught up. Most communities in Rhode Island, the taxes are six months behind. So that's something that sellers are not anticipating. They're just thinking they're paying them as part of their mortgage, and now they have this big line item at the closing that's like a gut punch (laughs) that they've just lost access to those funds. You're right. And then also there's some other things, too. Like I just had a first-time home seller. They were buying at the same time. And when they got it, fantastic people, right? They got into their new house. They're like, hey, we just got hit with this uh, sewer assessment Mm -hmm. bill. What's going on? And I said, well... Under section so-and-so of the purchase and sales agreement, when we were going back and forth negotiating, you said that you were okay with taking over, assuming the sewer assessment, and it was also on the disclosures with the amount. So that's going to come in. So there's a lot of also not hidden costs, but a lot of unexpected things that you, you things you forget about too that come up. And if they didn't in exist the in their first house, there was no sewer assessment on that house. Yeah. This isn't a language that they're familiar with. This isn't something that they fully understand, obviously. So that's exactly. why it's just a matter of going through and, and reconciling that. I mean, and I think we probably the next time I come back, we'll do the simultaneous buying and selling because mm. those logistical issues can really uh, make things that are stressful, super stressful. Yeah, I agree. But that and what I didn't complete my thought, but what I meant to to go over was like, we thoroughly explained what this was to them, but 
It's not their fault. They're no. selling a home and buying a home at the same time. You cannot sp- you cannot take in all of that information at once. There's so there's gonna be going to be stuff on. that's going on. Yeah. So, you know, the the good thing is, though, is that they, they contacted us after the fact and we walked them through that. And, right. And, you know, and that, that's... I, I have no doubt they understood it at the time they agreed to it, but they didn't fully comprehend it because there's so much going on. Yeah, definitely. And you can you can... I mean, I can understand that going yeah. through the process myself. So, Oh, of course. Yeah, and like I said, it's kind of a whole new language. It is. It really is. Awesome. And trying to do that when you're, like, working and family and everything else, mm-hmm. man. I know. I give a lot of credit to the people who just bought and sold during the holiday season. I, I told every single client, <laughs> you are so much braver than I because I yeah. couldn't do it. Yeah, they are. So. They, they really are. Actually, my clients, let's just talk about they They did that. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Give them credit. So... Awesome stuff. And they already renovated their house. Like, wow. yeah, yeah. Go getters. That's motivation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I like right? working with people like that. Definitely. So awesome. So uh, thank you so much, Melissa Delano with Delano Law. If you have any questions for Melissa and you'd like those answered, you know, you can give us a call or reach out on Facebook. You can type in any questions you want on Facebook or inbox us there or simply uh, 401-217-2333. 401-217-2333. 2333. I always botch that number. Yeah, I know. I know. That's (laughs) why I say 2333. But Melissa, thanks for being here. And we're going to be right back. We got a very special guest in the studio. Uh, It is Frank with the Cash Flow Kings. He's going to be talking about real estate syndications. This is going to be pretty cool. You're going to want to see this. Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. Now back to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 and 1047 FM. Also available as a podcast on iHeartRadio. What is going on? You are tuned in to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show. I'm Emilio Despirito, and I'll be your host for the rest of the hour. We've got an awesome show for you today. We've got a very special guest in studio. But, you know, before I, I jump into that, if this is the first time you're on the show with us, we're talking about buying, selling, investing real estate, and we're bringing on top-tier professionals to really guide us through that process and to give you that information that you're probably trying to Google and you're wondering who to trust this and that. Well, these are, again, top tier people that are really hitting it hard in the industry. And uh, we're going to go ahead and ask them some questions. So in the studio with us, we've got Frank Palatano, and he is with the Cashflow Kings. And uh, Frank is killing it out there. I mean, he's he owns several properties. He's doing syndications. He's doing all sorts of stuff. But Frank, why don't you give us a little background about yourself and Cashflow Kings and uh, let us know who, who the heck you are. Sure. Uh, Frank Padalano and uh, my partner on the Cashflow Kings is Jimmy Murray, both from Rhode What's up, Island. Jimmy? <laughs> Shout out to Jimmy. Shout out to Jimmy. Um, yeah, so basically I was a school teacher for a while, and uh, basically I started to buy some investments, and mm-hmm. gradually I've made enough uh, purchases that I don't need to uh, work uh, another job. So I kind of hang out, go to some lunches, stuff like that, like every day. <laughs> so you hang out and go to lunch, and that's what you do? Basically, yeah. it's all about networking. Actually, yeah. that's it where is. you find your deals. That's and a lot of a lot of reading and learning. Mm-hmm. Still reading a lot, stuff like that. That's great. I mean, reading is absolutely everything, and I'm sure that's been a huge component of your success. But you also run an investors group that meets at the Crown Plaza. I think every two weeks or every month. Yeah. So uh, the Rhode Island Real Estate Investors Group is uh, run by Rick Cohn. I'm uh, like kind of his second in command. Okay. And uh, we have about 300 paying members, and about 150 wow. people show up once a month, third Thursday of the month. 
Wow, that's and and you guys get together and you collaborate and you educate one another about the market, about what's going on, and what else goes on in that room. So what's awesome is we try to keep it as much of a club as possible. We're not okay. there selling things. We're yep. just uh, bringing knowledge and education, kind of like your uh, radio show, but just uh, once a month. I like that. I really like that. And people want that live, you know, interaction. They want to be meeting and shaking hands with other people that are actually doing it. So I think that's fantastic. I went to one of your events. I thought it was awesome. So good. So today, I, I have you on the show because you and I met, um, that was probably about a month ago now. You came down to my office and, you know, we were talking. And I was like, so what are you into right now? What's going on? Tell me what's happening in the investment side of things in real estate. And you were talking about syndications, right? Now, as a residential realtor, and I, I also do some commercial real estate as well, I, I'm blown away by syndications. Uh, that's something that I want to learn more about. And I want to educate our listeners about and also bring opportunities to the table for our listeners and my clients and my team and everybody else. So first off, what exactly is a syndication? Sure. So a syndication is basically a partnership um, where you, you just get together to try to buy something bigger, something that maybe you can't pull down by yourself and you need like a group of partners to work together to buy it. So it could be larger multis. It could be this commercial building. It could be a hotel. It could yep. be a bunch of different things. Sounds a lot like crowdfunding. It is a lot like crowdfunding. Um, the SEC uh, syndication been around a little longer, mm -hmm. and uh, crowdfunding takes a little longer to do it um, in order. In real estate, sometimes when you're making a purchase, you need to do it a little quicker. Got you. A lot of the crowdfunding stuff, especially on the commercial multifamily side, basically somebody might buy the property first, and then put it into a crowdfund to raise it. Okay. And this is, uh, you're raising the money to begin with. Got you. Yeah, Got so you. one of the big awesome. people in the crowdfunding space is like Grant Cardone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Grant, it's it's a lot like syndications, but there are some, some differences. So we're talking about uh, what is a syndication. Yes. And basically, uh, I'll, I'll give an example, because right now we're working on a deal in uh, Idaho. We are purchasing uh, a 50-unit complex. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, when you have a syndication, basically you have a group of people that find the deal and, and make it happen, the action people. It's called the general partners. Okay. And then you have uh, limited partners. Those are the people that mostly are just passively investing in the deal. Yep. So the biggest difference with uh, the general partners is they're the ones that put a lot of the time, the risk, and get some reward out of it. Mm -hmm. um, the limited partners just basically sit back and hope that their money um, does well. How many people... Uh, Frank, how many people are usually involved in, in a syndication? Like, so you've done several. How many people are usually involved in those? Is it three, four, or there's no real number? It could be 100. And how exactly does the percentage of what they take work? Sure. So on the uh, general partnership side, it's usually between one and up to four or five people. Not usually much bigger than that. Okay. Uh, because each one has to have an active role and do something important. Oh, okay. And uh, besides that, on the limited partner side, you might have... 10, 20. You might only have two or three, but you could have quite a few. Hmm. Uh, so, for example, the deal that we're doing, it's a, a total of a $2.9 million raise for everything, okay. including the rehab. And uh, with that, you might have investors that are raising or giving $50,000 minimums, mm -hmm. which might sound like a lot. It might blow away most of what the audience can afford, but you can start smaller depending on the syndication. Sure. I mean, well, $50,000 on a, a what'd you say, $2.9 is really not a, a, a ton of money. 
but but uh, it's it's something. So so with five people in, then everybody else is taking the brunt of it. So I'm just the the way. I guess my question is this: Is what if somebody wanted to go in as a silent investor? You said everybody has to play an active role. If somebody wants to go in and just invest their money, I mean, how does that work versus being active in in it? So that would be if you're just investing the money, you'd be considered a passive investor. Okay, and you just explained that, and yeah. I missed that. But that's okay. I mean, if you really wanted to be on the general partnership side, you might sign the mortgage. Um, that would be enough to make you an active on the active side. But most people are going to just be limited partners. Almost everybody in this syndication itself is is a limited passive investor. Uh, I'm, I'm a passive investor on five different investments nice. in four other states. Uh, so I love Rhode Island, but Rhode Island's kind of small, as you know. And yeah. uh, the economy goes up and down once in a while. So I want to be in some other growing markets. So uh, a recent deal, I was invested in a 80 unit in Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. And uh, basically, I just put in um, a investment. I think that one was fifty thousand. You could put in more, but that was just a start. Yeah, there are smaller ones. So I I was uh, involved in one in North Carolina, that was a twenty five thousand. Frank, Frank what, what do you think the top three markets outside of Rhode Island? There's a world outside of Rhode Island, folks. What do you think? Shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah, don't tell anybody. Right. What do you think the top three up and coming markets are, and why? All right. So. Up and coming is different than the hot markets. So let me just talk about the forget hot markets. Forget about the – all right, okay. I was going to say forget about the hot, hot markets. markets would be like Houston, Atlanta, yeah. Yeah. Miami, stuff like that. Uh, the market's so hot uh, uh, on a national scale, but the markets that I'm looking at are the qui- what I call the quieter growing markets. Secondary markets. Yeah, so like uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, Huntsville, Alabama might be getting a little too hot right now, but a lot of people are, are, are looking at it. And uh, I'm not sure if I can think of a third – maybe Oklahoma City. Okay. Yeah. So what about Baltimore? Um, I do know people that are in Baltimore right now. I, I don't know enough about that market per se. You gotta realize, as you know, there's thirty nine cities and towns in Rhode Island, but yeah. <laughs> we got fifty states and everyone's bigger than us. So. And do you think it's too late? Do you know anything about like Detroit? Do you think it's too late to get in there? Because there there was for a time being you could buy a three family for a thousand dollars. In Detroit, like they couldn't give them away. There's, there was blocks and blocks and blocks of the city that were just uninhabited, and you could go in and, and buy all that. I don't, I, I haven't looked at Detroit recently, but so there might be an opportunity. But you have to realize that Detroit reminds me of parts of South Providence. Okay, like there were great deals and steals maybe like five years ago. Yes, but you have to be very selective now. I'm not saying you can't make money in every every street. You, yep. you can. But the the days where I had a friend that was selling a house for fourteen thousand dollars on MLS back in like two thousand twelve or something. Oh yeah, yeah, we see yeah. them all the time. You couldn't give them away. I had one like that too. The whole basement was covered in mold. It needed a new roof and stuff. But that same house would go for two hundred k right now. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so there that you could still make money in almost any market, but you just got to be a lot more selective. Got you. So you know, going back to syndications, you know, is there anything that somebody like looking, look, so people are looking for different avenues of investment specifically right now because people are scared about the stock market. It's towards its top. A lot of people are pulling money out and putting it into real estate. And, and that it, this is a very timely uh, conversation we're having here. How would somebody get started with that? And uh, how would they know how much they should and should not risk? I guess that's per person, but what kind of advice could you give as somebody that that came from being a school teacher and that started it and is really blowing up? So yeah, so investing 
Syndication is not necessarily for everyone. It does involve mm-hmm. risk, just like everything else. But if you're going to invest in real estate, it's a good way to get involved. And it allows you mostly to get involved in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you're already a real estate investor locally, it's a way to um, it's a way to just spread your wealth around. Got you. You know. Uh, besides that, the main ways uh, always. You know me. Like I said, I'm a teacher. Education, networking are the main ways to get started. 100%. You have to do that no matter what. Uh, I did not invest in my first syndication deal um, for at least uh, you know three months, six months after studying. And being all in, reading books and yep. meeting people, going to conferences, et cetera. Yeah, that's good. You got to know what you're doing. When you're spending that kind of money, investing that kind of money. And I'm sure when you started, like most people that start in business, you go all in. You invested everything. I see how much time you put into your podcast. I see how much time you put into your networking and all of that. And uh, it reminds me of everybody else I see doing, you know, really, really crushing it. So um, another thing I wanted to ask you was... Um, and it, jeeps, it escaped my head. Oh my god! I guess it wasn't that important. Well, frankly. one thing I can talk about while you're thinking about it is I can talk about how people get paid in syndication. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually yeah. one of my next questions. So if you're if you're a limited partner where you just invested the money, um, many but not all um, of the GP teams they give what they call preferred returns. Yep. So it's kind of like it's it's not as good as like a dividend, but um, as the rents keep coming in. As you fix up things, as you reduce expenses, you start to make a profit, hopefully every month, but at least uh, once in a while, and you get paid a preferred distribution. Before before big payouts come, they try to give like, uh, you know, six, seven percent preferred return. Of the, of the rent that's coming in? Uh, of the overall um, profit on the profit. Of the overall profit. Okay. Yep. So, if, you know, so if you have, let's just say $100, just an easy number in rent coming in, right? The profit, you would get 6% of the profit. A little different. If you had, say you had um, $50,000 invested in the property. Yeah. Your your expectation would be to get, if if they do this kind of preferred return, about a 7% return over the course of a year on that money. Okay, I see. On that original investment. I see. Okay. Yeah, so that might be uh, $3,500 a year. Okay. Paid out monthly or mostly quarterly, depending on the. So, so you're not you're not doing this for a short term gain, you, you know, because that's that's not a ton of money right away. Your goal with the syndication is to wait for what five to seven years before that market, before yes. the appreciation comes up, and then you dump it, and then you're looking at a return of. You you could double your money, but it's not a guarantee. You know what? So so that's good use of your money, though. If you have money Absolutely. sitting around, and I know a lot of people are like, no, like, no, not yet. But this is how you make money, and this is how you grow your wealth. Instead of having it stuck in a savings account, you know, giving you uh, a, maybe $1,000 a year with the same money, I don't know. You're, you're growing it that way, but you're also investing in a future asset that uh, could go ahead and double in, in, in not a lot of time. Well, so the smallest syndication I've seen is uh, someone investing about ten or fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. So if you invest ten thousand dollars in a, in a, if you put the money in a bank, mm-hmm. I mean, what are you going to make? You're going to make a hundred dollars over the course of a year in interest if you're at one percent. Yeah, it's nothing. Um, if you're at a seven percent preferred return, um, you would get seven hundred dollars. Yep. And not only that, but if you could double your money in eight years, then you're going to get a check at the end. Sure. You know, your total counting all that interest and all that preferred return would be about twenty thousand dollars. 
Cool. Before we jump to commercial break, what are the risks involved? What could you tell me in about a minute or so? Could you? What are the risks? And I know I'm putting you on the spot here. That's okay. What's the risks? There are definitely risks. I mean, your the general partners might not be as good at running numbers as they thought. They might not be able to raise rents as much. Sure. You might lose money on the property. It might not be properly insured. You could have someone uh, stealing money, but that usually doesn't happen. But it could. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of risks. And as an investor in a syndication, you you don't actually own part of the real estate. You own part of the corporation. So if there's some defaults or things going on there. Um, you know, I'm sure you have some legal rights and you could take somebody to court or whatever, but that's, you know, that's tough. But you're not securing, your investment is not secured by the real estate. It's secured by the company. So there's really not much security there. It's kind of a risk, but well, definitely, you got to do your due diligence. But it's kind of also, it's similar to buying a stock. Yep. You know, when you buy a stock, I mean, the CEO could be stealing money. The, the, uh, the numbers might not work. Sales might not, not be yeah. there. Um, people like the fact that it's a piece of real estate over just some one product that could go bust. Got you. That's awesome. So, uh, Frank with the Cash Flow Kings, if you look up on Instagram, Cash Flow Kings, Facebook, uh, just Google these guys, you're going to go ahead and you're going to see a green logo with a crown. That's them. These guys are, are great. They do a lot, of, uh, a, lot, a lot of educational stuff here. Great podcast to listen to. Appreciate you being on the show with us. And uh, looking forward to speaking with you soon, bro. Thank you, sir. You're very welcome. Thank you. Stay tuned. We've got a great show coming up. Uh, we've got Mike Auger with Patriot Home Inspections coming on. And uh, thank you so much for watching on Facebook and for listening on air 1047 FM, 920 AM, streaming on WHJJ. We'll be right back here. I'm Emilio Desperto, the Desperto Team Real Estate Show. You have to talk fast. Cool. Awesome. Sometimes. Sometimes yeah. Now back to the Despirito Team Real Estate Show on News Radio 920 and 1047 FM. Also available as a podcast on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. I'm Emilio Despirito. This is the Despirito Team Real Estate Show, and we have on Jennifer Jaber with riblogger.com. We're going to be talking about the top five events here in Rhode Island. Jennifer, what is happening in this wonderful state? All kinds of things, some, some indoor, some outdoor. Um, we have the concert at the zoo, Jump Into Winter, at Roger Williams Park Zoo on January 18th from 10.30 to 11.15 a.m. So you can mm-hmm. celebrate the magic of jumping and the joy of winter. Um, you can join Silly Puppets, a rhythm, melody, and harmony, and their talented musicians. So it's a great thing for the little ones. I already got my tickets to this next event. I'm really excited about mm-hmm. this. Owls and Ailes Audubon's Nature Center uh-huh. from 6.30 to 8.30. Yeah, so you, it's like January owls. 18th. I know, we do. <laughs> it's January 18th and February 22nd. Um, so you'll meet some of Audubon's amazing birds of prey. You can visit the Nature Center and the aquarium for a presentation on the birds and then enjoy locally brewed beer and take a guided walk through the refuge at night to look and listen for owls. So it's a fun event, 21 plus. And dress, obviously, for January and February weather in Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Newport Wellness Marketplace at the Marriott is on Sunday, January 19th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Marriott. <laughs> the event is free and open to the public. It's a local vendor-style community event. There'll be live music. You can browse the vendors, attend a complimentary class or demonstration, book a healing session, 
um, just hang out and enjoy all of Newport's wellness community. And it also kicks off Newport Wellness Week. Dueling Pianos return to downtown Providence at Askew on Saturday, January 18th at 8 p.m. Brenner Campus and Neil Haven from the Old Point Street team will be entertaining you all night. So if you haven't seen them, they're actually pretty fabulous. I saw them a while ago. Um, and it's one night only, so it's January 18th at 8 p.m. at Askew. Awesome. And last but not least, January 20th from 4 to 8 p.m., bring your well-behaved pup to 210 Oyster Bar to dine on a select dog-friendly menu. Um, and South Paws All-Breed Dog Rescue will be on site with adoptable pups. Oh, I love it. And pup swag. Yeah, so it's extended yappiest of hours until 8. So there's also dollar oysters, $3 select beers, $6 martinis, and half-off appetizers. And $20 all-you-can-eat select sushi rolls. So, um, you know, there's, there's some good human food, too. <laughs> I love it. And if you're looking for a four-legged friend, then you might as well just go have some delicious food and maybe bring home a puppy. They, you know, it's it's a fact that puppies make you happier. It is true. Like sometimes, if I'm not feeling so great, I'm like, it would be really great to go pet puppies right now. It would always. Have like a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until they start chewing your furniture. Just once you get past that stage, you're good and. Uh... Wow, that that went by quick. So riblogger.com, all things uniquely Rhode Island. Don't forget to submit your events there as well, top left of the screen. Thank you so much, Jennifer, and uh, have a fantastic rest of your week. We'll talk with you next week. Thanks. Have a great week. You're welcome. Thank you. What a fun show today. If uh, you missed some of the show, don't worry. Go to facebook.com backslash Dispirito team, and you can see all of the videos from the show, all of the content, and you can listen to our podcasts, as well as uh, scope out the newest and latest real estate hitting Rhode Island and the latest real estate news. Super great place to go. Facebook.com backslash Dispirito team. Give us a like. And uh, please share our content. We're doing everything we can to educate the public on how to buy, sell, invest, and hold real estate. My name is Emilio Desperado. This is the Desperado Team Real Estate Show, and we're so happy you were here with us today. If you need anything at all, feel free to give me a call direct, 33, your real estate resource in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Connecticut. We'll see you next time, folks. Thank you so much. God bless you. Take care.